Hey, everybody, and welcome to Dragged into Turbo Lasers, a Between the Bolter and Me podcast. This is episode 68, and I'm your host, Eric Wire, and I'm here tonight with my two brothers, Adam Wire. Hey, everyone. Greg Wire. Hey, everyone. And I'm ex- really excited to say we have a special guest here, uh, Chris Kyle, or perhaps better known as Colonel on like Instagram and that sort of thing. Nice to have you here, Chris. Hey people, thanks uh, for the invite. Yeah, really now really, to be here. Yeah, excited to be able to talk with you about um your kind of special aspect of the hobby and how you go about your conversions and all that sort of thing. I feel you're a pretty big force in sort of the kit bash and like Ink 28 side of the hobby, so yeah, I'm just excited to be able to talk to you a little bit about some of that stuff and yeah, it should be good. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, so sort of with that in mind, maybe um, we could just start sort of in the beginning. And can you just talk a little bit about maybe yourself and how you got into the hobby? I think I got uh, into the hobby in 98 when uh, third edition of Warhammer 40K uh, hit the shelves and there wasn't a games workshop uh, around uh, my town for kilometers. Don't don't even know if there were any games workshops in the in the wider area. <laughs> so uh, we had uh, the the mother of my best friend. Uh, we we sent her to collect us uh, <laughs> one one of the boxes and yeah from then it all started so it's yeah it's uh 22 years now but i'm collecting yeah, so a little when, plastic, when plastic we started, there weren't there really weren't like a games workshop stuff shops anywhere nearby so it was all like smaller hobby shops and the like and, yeah yeah um so they kind of each one kind of has its own special like vibe and stuff to it um but have you, since you started there, have you been going pretty strong at it or has it kind of gone in like waves of interests and stuff? Like certainly for us, um, sort of how we approached the hobby has changed a lot over the years. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty normal. Yeah, we used to play Warhammer 40,000. <laughs> Hard to believe, but it used to happen. <laughs> yeah, we we started with a few miniatures um, adding to the content of that set box and uh, there was a time where we used um, uh, scale uh, 1 to 72 miniatures mm-hmm. two with just with the rules of Warhammer uh, to, to see how uh, bigger uh, battles would um, play out yeah, makes sense. and um, I think we 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 played quite frequently and collected stuff for about five or maybe maybe ten years and then we had a break for about um a few years and i even uh sold quite all my my models i had a uh, i think four thousand points of uh, dark angels and i put them on ebay back then when selling models over ebay wasn't that popular so i got just a few bucks <laughs> out of it and um do you regret selling those? Or you... mm, I think so, yeah, because um, these were the first miniatures I uh, painted. 
and converted back then. And I have a few, a few of them I have left. I have a Land Raider and a few of the Metal Scouts with my first uh, green stuff sculpting and stuff like that. But well, it's nice that you at least kept a yeah. few. But yeah, well, you in have, some sense, yeah. In recent I don't know. times, you've made some new like Dark Angel models and stuff with like the different Primera kits and stuff. Is that sort of the like kind of uh, revisit like an earlier like your, an earlier army and stuff? Like I feel we certainly. One of the armies we started when we started playing with the Dark Angels army too. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly uh, coming back to Dark Angels uh, once in a while. Uh, at first, when the Dark Vengeance box was released, mm -hmm. I said, uh, "Hey, let's uh, collect Dark Angels again." And of course, when the uh, Primaris uh, line hit the shelves, I uh, had in mind to to bolster up my my Dark Angels, or even it it. Um, um goes a little bit in between um adding them to my uh, regular dark angels army or doing a kind of true scale mm -hmm. attempt to make a, a, a primary scale yeah. dark angels army for yeah that stands alone so so to say yeah no i mean i i have a soft spot for dark angels and I, like i tried to make can do some simple conversions to make a few kind of Primaris scale Dark Angels because they just look so much better that I, if I'm going to spend the time to build some models, some Dark Angels, I I want them to at least look, have some semblance of quality around them. I don't want them to be those, the old squatty looking <laughs> yeah. models, which I mean, <laughs> admittedly, I have fond memories of, but like, I'm not. I'm not going back. <laughs> no, no, they are super tiny and... Uh... Yeah, I'm not going back there. <laughs> but I guess... Well, I was going to say, I can't believe for a long time the three of us were playing Warhammer. It didn't even occur to us that the anatomy of the original Space Marine models was kind of wonky, that they mm. hardly had abdomens. Like, for <laughs> somehow we didn't even really realize that. I guess we were so accustomed to them and they looked right to us, though, if you actually examined them based on anatomy. It didn't really make sense. So it took us a long time yeah. to realize it. And now maybe that's all that we talk about. But... <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of maybe we can shift that into it. Like, what was your first contact with, like, the Ink 28 Bland Shih Tzu scene? Like how, why, and how did you kind of get involved in that? Because it sort of seems like now, if anyone's familiar with the, your work, I think that's what they think about. They think about all these cool, grim, dark kit bashes and mm. crazy conversions and such that really fit this yeah, bland Shih Tzu style. And yeah, yeah, how did you sort of get involved in in that? And yeah, any comments on that? Well. One has to say that uh, from the point uh, where you get involved with Warhammer directly, you are uh, also uh, in contact with with Blanchitsu and with uh, the grimdark <laughs> uh, atmosphere. Maybe, maybe not in the models, but uh, uh, surely with all the artwork and stuff. Yeah, not really the models. <laughs> and and I think the the first stuff that I have converted uh, with the Scrim Darkness in mind were some um, warrior priests 
from the the old Warhammer Fantasy uh, Flaglands mm-hmm. developed uh, a kit with uh, chain swords and stuff like that. But that's a long, long time ago. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I really con- connected with the uh, ink. 28 community and actually um, convert models with uh, set community in mind and, and to share with them uh, was when I joined the Inquisitorium Facebook group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think three or four years ago. I don't don't really know when. That don't uh, visit the group uh, frequently at the moment. Yeah, I can't say I do either. But it's certainly it's a big kind of force and place for people to kind of share models and stuff in that sort of style that I think particularly now that like the ammo bunker was a pretty big forum for it. And I mean, it's still around, but I feel it's not quite as big as it maybe had been. And I think the ease of Facebook groups and stuff is like, I think made it more popular. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the okay. first first model that I that I converted um in that with that mindset so to say was the uh that barbarian's guitar based on the Dark Oath chieftain. Okay. That is actually inspired by John Blanche uh, artwork. Mhm. Mhm. And yeah, from from there on it uh, took to go on and I was uh, like two or three years active in the Inquisitorium page and then I slowly trickled over to Instagram mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah I feel Instagram makes it very easy to share your work and a lot of people yeah. don't necessarily want to spend the time to read like a blog post they just want to see cool pictures so it works pretty well instagram anyway for the hobby related aspect well, even if they were up for reading a post like with blogs like you kind of have to go out of your way to like hey is there a new post on this blog on that blog and like switch around and actively go out and search for that mm-hmm. whereas with instagram like you can just turn on the app and scroll through stuff so i mean it's just this the ease of access is so different. Absolutely, yeah. That I think it's it's good for this sort of thing. And I mean, Instagram, like as sort of a social media platform to talk about like myself or post pictures of like places I'm at or whatever has absolutely no (laughs) appeal to me. But as like content creators, I think it's great. It's great for kind of that capacity. Um, when you did start to do this Ink 28 stuff, like how quickly did you start to kind of build uh, war bands and things like that? And when you did, was it with playing like Necromunda or something in mind or was it firmly in this realm of like, I just want to make cool models and explore some elements of the lore and whatnot that maybe isn't always seen on models? Uh, it's a bit of both, I would say. Um, of course, I had in mind uh, playing with these uh, miniatures at the time that I built them, but um, I have to admit that I rarely have played uh, uh, with any of these uh, miniatures so far. Or in that vein, is there any group of models that 
you haven't really played with, but you would really like to play like Necromunda or one of the games with? Is this something that you feel would that you've made that would work really well for that, that you just haven't had a chance to do and would like to? The I think the the coolest aspect of the Ink Twenty Eight uh, hobby or, or or the game in itself, and I think that was what I uh, had in mind uh, when I started doing it, is that the fifty four millimeter game Inquisitor was a really really great game and had uh, cool rules, mm-hmm. and the original intention uh, was just to to build small miniatures that you could put into a small case and take everywhere and just play that game without having those uh, kilos of metal uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to, to carry around. So I think I, I have um, loads of miniatures that I just could pick and um, uh, call a few people that aren't really involved in this uh, and just put uh, warbands into their hands and have uh, cool games of uh, mm-hmm. Inquisitor uh, but it hasn't hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, Inquisitor, I think, was honestly kind of a turning point for me, even though, I mean, I didn't necessarily play it a whole lot, but just all the atmosphere and the artwork in the rule book and this yeah. focus on some of those narrative elements that weren't normally what you'd seen in these large-scale 40K games was really appealing to me. Like, as I said, like, all the art was really cool and looked at interesting things and it actually developed the inquisition into something interesting with like kind of different ideologies and such, which is like really, really cool. And to me, it maybe was something that to realize like there's more room to grow here and interesting things to explore and consider rather than just like space Marines are cool and they kill orcs. Also, in that vein with Inquisitor and whatnot, maybe it was now a year or a year and a half ago, you went on a project to recreate a lot of the artwork from Inquisitor in model yeah, form. Yeah. Like what, what prompted you to do that? And I think it went over just like a month or something, and you made a ton of models in a very short period of time, all of which doing an excellent job of capturing the images you were going for like what prompted that well i um the uh, inquisitor rule book um falls into my hands quite frequently because of the <laughs> cool artwork and stuff and uh, the fond memories that are connected with it and um, yeah it was just like um when i began with it i wanted to build uh little versions of miniatures to play that game so it was kind of obvious um that i had to build the characters and the the models mm-hmm. that were available in uh, 54 millimeter just in in 28 and um yeah as i am i think i'm mostly inspired by by artwork and stuff so i thought it a cool idea to just uh, pick artwork and try to uh, recreate um yeah, as much as possible. Artwork. Yeah, so I mean, that's a good idea. Like, I feel a lot of the artwork, I know, like, I, some of it I, like, really love, and I feel I've always sort of thought about it would be neat to try and recreate some of those in model form, but I never really got around to actually doing it. So it's neat to actually see that you went there and did, like, you made a ton of different models, and I feel 
remembrance of the artwork, like it's immediately recognizable. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Impressive. That that was my aim exactly, and I actually have done all the main characters from the book. Mm-hmm. That's and cool. a, f- a few few others uh, uh, of which I really love the artwork or that have iconic artwork but never had a miniature. Um, well, so kind of in a similar vein there, you talk about how some of that artwork are some of your biggest inspirations. Do you have other inspirations that maybe not, maybe aren't directly Warhammer related, so like perhaps books or film or music or things like that that you take inspiration from that you try to put into your work? Yeah, I, w- I would say uh, books, of course, but as I'm uh, reading only uh, Warhammer books, for uh, I think about uh, 98% of uh, my reading time, that kind of uh, doesn't count in. But um, yeah, I think everything that um, I consume that um, you could call media, be it movies or comic books or music or artwork or stuff, uh, has something in it um, that uh, inspires me to do something. Sometimes it can be a song or a tune. Sometimes it's it's artwork where I say, okay, I want to build that or I want to pick uh, that scene or that mood or uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. And movies, of course, uh, yeah. all sci-fi movies and stuff. Uh, Is there a particular and, uh, like sci-fi movie that you particularly like? Uh, Aliens Returns is my uh, all-time favorite. Yeah, that's cool. A- Is that the second Alien film? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. with all with the Colonial Marines exactly. and the Alien Queen and all that, yeah, you know, like that. Iconic. Yeah. An iconic is like an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> nah. yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and maybe I think the 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 old um, cheesier action films like uh, RoboCop or Judge <laughs> Dredd or, or such, um, mm-hmm, yeah. they uh, translate a, a certain mood or even color scheme or yeah. um, atmosphere. That is very grimdark and can inspire, whereas the the newer renditions of that often uh, provide you with a better effects or a more detailed view of the technology and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's pretty much all all very inspiring, I think. Yeah. Well, when you're working in general, do you do that like in isolation? Or are you like listening to music, having stuff playing? Like I know for me, most of the time. So I'm working, I'm either listening to music or maybe I'll have like a YouTube video or something playing just for like background noise. Um, yeah. Usually um, I uh, listen to music, yeah. Um, I had times where I watched uh, uh, Netflix stuff, but mostly uh, uh, dumb series like uh, Archer or Family <laughs> yeah. guy or stuff that you just yeah. can absorb somehow and have, uh, mm-hmm. you don't uh, have people have talking. You don't, you have, don't to have to to pay that much <laughs> attention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, but most often I listen to to music, and it, it varies from 
week to week if that's uh, yeah. like uh, stoner metal or dark country or sometimes uh, 80s uh, synthwave yeah, okay. <laughs> not 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 really uh, fixed on yeah. a certain yeah. tune yeah I, i've watched some of your youtube streams and always appreciated your musical choices in them like the doom metal band the sword that you were playing yeah, yeah. That i quite like and um i think they're from sweden uh desert rock stoner metal band called truck fighters yeah <laughs> um yeah. they're actually touring in the united states this month ah cool oh, i have that's worth. i have a few playlists or, or bands on my computer that i frequently uh return to but sometimes i just uh hit youtube and uh uh, listen to some mixes and after mm -hmm. half an hour or an hour you you don't really know what you're listening uh, <laughs> yeah. at now See where <laughs> automatically yeah. uh, keeps keeps switching stuff so yeah that can happen and th the cool thing is that um you now can actually have music in your youtube videos i think that wasn't so in the past i don't think if uh, in yeah. in instagram has it still that you get kicked when you uh, play music you don't own the rights for. Um, the yeah, only so thing is that you can't monetize uh, the video yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. a, a recent development. And I think it's cool because I personally want to listen to music when I do my mm -hmm. streams. Um, I sometimes think about if it's a good idea because um, if people want to uh, watch my streams maybe they want to listen to their own music but then they could mute my stream or whatever yeah. but um, I don't even know why people uh, would watch me one hour painting stuff because I'm totally not into <laughs> watching <laughs> uh, streams of that kind uh, well, I see how it just it everyone's a little different like i know like yeah. I, I sometimes i'll sit and like watch long streams or, like people paint and stuff and not really saying much and it's like i don't necessarily i'm not watching every instance of it in detail but like it's yeah, also yeah. just a good record like if you really want to see some aspect like you could go back to it so like i feel there's value in like about any of the stuff like that um no but, yeah it's that's certainly true. Um, I guess we kind of mentioned that, or YouTube a little bit, and you actually have a YouTube channel that you've yeah. done some streaming and stuff. Yeah. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about that, how you kind of got into that the streaming thing, creating videos of your conversions and like what you'd like to do with it in the future, or like what's yeah, your general yeah. experience? Um, I started streaming stuff uh, on Instagram naturally because it's uh, super easy. You just have to put your phone or tablet or whatever in front of you and hit the button and everyone can see it. But I was always um, not really fond of the quality, at least what I could mm -hmm, see on mm -hmm. my device. People told me that the quality was good or okay, but uh, at my end, it was always... Um, a grainy and um, yeah, before yeah, yeah. I, I could never think of uh, being captured by what I saw on my screen. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, I started uh, recording stuff for YouTube first with uh, I think my smartphone, then with a 
DSLR camera and it was lots of, of work uh, uh, converting the, the videos into a format that would fit the screen and then it would be squeezed and stuff and you had the <laughs> stuff yeah. in front of you and it was, wasn't really really that good but uh, recently I have a, a tablet that makes quite good videos and I can just place it in front of me and uh, either start uh, streaming on Instagram or recording stuff for YouTube. Yeah, no, so that's that's nice. Yeah, like, and I think that's a a big thing trying to figure out like a way that you can record stuff that you're satisfied with, but that doesn't sort of hinder what you're trying to do. Yeah, like particularly if like you're doing conversions, working on like green stuff work or painting or whatever. Obviously, the models are small, and you need a fair amount of dexterity to do that sort of stuff. So, like, you mm. can't have a camera like right in front of you or all that stuff. So, I think yeah, lots of learning and setting up something that works for you. Well, I feel yeah. with making YouTube videos, it's probably a thing where it takes a lot of time to do all that, and maybe at least once you start, you don't see much of a return on that investment in that maybe it seems like not very many people are watching it and you kind of wonder whether you want to keep doing it. Is that something that you've struggled with? Or? Um, I have to say, and it might uh, sound rude, but I don't really care <laughs> if, if uh, uh, people uh, watch my stuff. I feel that's um, probably the the best um, attitude to have about it's it. probably a healthy attitude for it to be honest because I, well I, I can't i can't really do uh, something about it i could mm -hmm. only uh, buy better equipment and arrange stuff better and as you mentioned uh, i don't think that there would be an equivalent return of uh, uh, mm -hmm. a, a good comments or good 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 feeling for me so i i just do what i what i do i try to uh, uh record the stuff i do as often as possible with which isn't quite often <laughs> well yeah, um, yeah i understand that like i know i on here on our streams and blog like i've done a little trying to stream you working on like hobby related stuff and like i've never been super happy with how they it came out and I think part of that's just due to like how I have the cameras and stuff set up like the focusing yeah. is like really bad and then <laughs> um yeah it's uh, even even if you if you don't work on the video files um afterwards if you wa want to do a tutorial about say um painting bases or whatever you have to arrange everything you have to fix yeah. your camera you have to uh, think about if everything is into focus mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And when when you've actually uh, uh, done with it with, with filming, it has uh, taken ten times as long as it would have <laughs> yeah. taken you to just yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, paint the base. So um, for me, it's more productive to just put the tablet in front of me and uh, stream on Instagram. No, no matter the quality, so no, uh, people yeah, can yeah. can see uh, what I'm doing and can pick up ideas and uh, uh, maybe even teachings on the fly, so to say. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, if I feel that I, I could uh, transport it better with a, with a video that is focused on that theme, uh, I will try to do it. Yeah, and I guess it's just one of those things that 
as you suggested, it's going to take up time that could have been spent doing other hobby related things. And you just sort of have to prioritize that. And because certainly if you want to do YouTube like a lot and do all that video editing and all, all mm. those things like that's a large investment of time that, you know, you can't put towards converting models or painting them and such. So like, I think it is a lot about just sort of prioritizing what you yeah. want to do. And I think, the, oh yeah, continue. The The thing is that at the moment I use uh, two tablets, one mm -hmm. for streaming on Instagram because it uh, uh, works in the upright position and gives uh, a good, uh, good picture and stuff, mm -hmm. but I can't use it uh, to record stuff for YouTube because it will get too grainy and I have that other tablet which makes yeah, good okay. videos for YouTube, but I can't stream with it <laughs> on Instagram because the camera doesn't turn around when I yeah, okay. put it upside down. So <laughs> All sorts of little things, frustrations. Yeah, and that, that, that mainly uh, um, keeps me from uh, doing more stuff on YouTube, but I uh, so far I haven't tried to stream with that tablet on YouTube directly because there just isn't the the crowd uh, to watch the stream. And I, mm -hmm. what I find uh, appealing um, on Instagram is that you have instantly uh, people with which you can uh, talk about what you do mm -hmm. or just uh, chat because you, you see the chat and people get involved and ask questions and it's a much more uh, relaxed um, art of yeah. uh, uh, relaxed thing. I would yeah. also say if you're you fairly well established yourself on Instagram, such that there are lots of people that are following your work there, such that if you start a live stream, there are probably lots of people that will then tune in. Whereas if for the any like YouTube account to really be popular. I feel it's something you have to be doing for a while to slowly build up a following and you kind of have to decide whether that's worth it or not. And yeah. whether you would rather just spend more of your time working on those models and every once in a while doing like an Instagram stream. Yeah. And uh, another thing we have already mentioned before is that, um, if you uh, look at the stuff on Instagram and then want to um, uh, watch a video on YouTube, it's just one click. But it's that one click that uh, people often won't won't do to to get there. They, they no, want to, to have it presented to them right there, and yeah. Yeah, because that is true. If you look at all like the analytics and stuff, even just on ours, when it's something like oh this is a nice picture and it's like, oh, and there's more on the blog and you can <laughs> look at the analytics <laughs> yeah. and it's like, oh, I get like, I'm going to say like 800 likes. Like that's not too bad. And then you look like how many people, how many of those actually translated into clicking on a website and it's like five. It's like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's very true. And I guess another thing, like if you really did want to, I mentioned that it seems kind of like a healthy thing that you didn't don't care hugely how many like YouTube views you have. I think one reason why that is healthy is because to really make YouTube work, like you kind of have to sort of play the YouTube game of like, how can I make content or change the title of my videos to come up more frequently such that like when someone's watching something, it'll be recommended next. Like you have to really like yeah. kind of 
analyze that stuff and maybe also make videos you're not interested in just so you can get those clicks and start to be recommended to be watched again mm-hmm. and again and like that at least for me doesn't appeal to me yeah i i don't do the the youtube stuff to uh, become popular yeah. or something like that or to to get more more views on whatever it's just uh, uh, yeah basically building up a library of stuff that um I am fond of and that I uh, would like to have to cross-reference when I mm-hmm. um, uh, come back to a project, for example. It's yeah, like like even it's it's a library for me that if I forget uh, how I painted um, uh, the bases for my Dark Angels army, I could just revisit my my YouTube channel, and it's it's there for people to watch, of course. And I am uh, fond of everyone who is watching it and stuff. It's, I, it's that I actually I care yes but it doesn't impact on me if people yeah. like the video or not because it's there and they can like it or they can like it not and they can watch it or they can let it mm-hmm. be well, and, I yeah, think, that's, I, was that's say, I think the best art comes out of when somebody is making it because they want to do it and it's yeah. being made for themselves I mean and sure people can like it and find inspiration in it but it's always better if you're doing the work for yourself yeah and it's the same with music too like i would rather be listening or finding music that the artists made for them rather than something that they're trying to pander towards they think might be popular Mm. yeah and like also the the idea of being able to kind of go back for yourself and reference stuff that's certainly been something that like I like it like about our blog and even Instagram like it is a nice way to sort of chronicle your yeah. progress what you've learned and like go back and reference like that is a nice thing and why that yeah like honestly particularly for how easy Instagram is like if you don't have an Instagram account to kind of share your work I feel it's really worth creating one because you can engage with the community more and talk with people, ask questions or just see neat models. Like I think it's, it's good for the good for the hobby in general. Yeah. Well, of course it's uh, very pleasing and a great feeling when people like your stuff uh, and absolutely uh, that's uh, getting better. The more people uh, uh, like it, of course, but yeah, I really don't do it for for that. Uh, it's even the the whole Instagram thing for me started uh, with the intention to have a gallery yeah. of my stuff mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to to show friends or family or just to have collected uh, uh, all my stuff in one place where I can uh, kind of have a record of of what I have done so far. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Um, I guess maybe we could transition into like. I think people probably know you the most, for, the most for all your kind of crazy, awesome kit bashes. Like, could <laughs> you talk a little bit about, you know, how you go about your conversions? And it seems like you are very precise and particular about the conversions you do, such that you can kind of minimize the need for green stuff and sculpting, which is, I think, pretty impressive because. Um, kits and stuff don't aren't always scaled like the same and all these things so like i feel it takes a 
a very particular eye to find good kit bashes, particularly ones that don't just look like, I changed this head. Hmm. Uh, well, it uh, differs from uh, project to project uh, how I approach uh, my builds. Sometimes it's uh, that I see uh, a model and uh, pick a few details that I feel are uh, looking wrong or that I could um, uh, make different and I just uh, switch them to the uh, the pieces I want on the model. Or sometimes I have a particular picture in mind and then just roam through my memory or the Games Workshop website or my bits boxes and pull out everything that I feel could be uh, the fitting piece or has parts on it that I could use for that. And yeah, from, from there on, it's, it's usually just uh, builds itself. Mm -hmm. So to say, I, I start, usually I start very rough, like, okay, I want a guy in uh, big armor that is wielding a close combat weapon and a pistol. So I yeah, pick yeah. the first first part that, that come close to that, and I try to arrange uh, the thing so that I like it, and I check uh, which which pose uh, looks best and stuff, and then I begin to to switch parts again, like, okay, want, do I want a power blade or a chainsword? Or do I want it to be a staff or single-handed or a two-handed weapon? And during that process, often the, the, the pose and the proportions might change. Mm -hmm. And um, I always work uh, with the fact in mind that I absolutely hate sculpting with green stuff. <laughs> I, I can do it, but I don't really enjoy it. Uh, except from the few moments where uh, my sculpting tools do exactly what I want them to do. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. So um, I, I build up my, my uh, model so that I can cover all those places mm -hmm. that I would have to use green stuff with other parts. Mm -hmm. Mainly like, like if the chest doesn't fit the legs, I will add pouches to uh, <laughs> make the transition to the upper body or I position the arms with a little wire or, or glue them intentionally way down the torso so that the elbows are on the hip mm -hmm. so that it looks good and then just cover up uh, the missing link with huge shoulder plates and stuff like that. Or sometimes I even add uh, a bigger focus points to the model so that you won't even look at those parts where something could be wrong that the yeah, focus yeah. Is, is, is leading you around that that place. Yeah, I mean, I feel that's like a smart way to, to do things and it like allows you to keep making more models and such rather than, you know, spending an, an inordinate amount of time on any one thing. You can keep exploring other ideas and yeah. such, which I think is, is neat and that's certainly and evident. Are... There, there are so many gaps on my models that you won't see later. Of course, if you pick them up and turn them around, around and look, uh, look from the downside, you, you, I think there are um, sure models where you could look through the model uh, under the <laughs> armpit and out the other side. But yeah, it's you could fill that gap, but you could do without it. Mm -hmm. I feel like with Adam, you have kind of gone to the point where now you like sculpt almost everything. 
<laughs> so, like you've been you've been working on that Eldar model for I don't know, like a month or two <laughs> months or something. So there's certainly a downside to <laughs> yeah, like I feel thing. I many times I like I feel I'd sort of like to go a little closer to like sort of what you were talking about because like I feel like that could help me like finish more stuff rather than get like mired down and like on details and stuff like I know which this was probably pretty stupid but like when I got the new Deloc kit like a lot yeah. of those models like they have their boots sculpted but their legs are just completely gone but you can like look up underneath it and there's just a hollow space there and so, like, the first mm. model from them that I assembled, like, I literally re-sculpted the legs and then glued <laughs> it together. And now, like, literally no one will ever see them. Um, yeah. But I probably pretty, <laughs> I should have just filled the hole and that would have, like, largely would have, that would have been yeah. all I needed to do. But I guess um, I think at the time... I was thinking it would be good practice, so maybe that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the one one thing why I do it that way is that I'm very impatient and that I want to have the model uh, done as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And the other fact is that um, during uh, the over the years uh, where I have uh, developed my painting skills. Mm -hmm. um, there comes a point where you uh, learn about focus on a model. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you have that in mind, it, it just makes, yeah, it makes kind of click. And um, you just see the unnecessary uh, areas on a model that you don't have to sculpt or paint in, a, in the same way that you would, uh, uh, yeah, let's say, the, the head or something like that. Yeah, no, nah, and I think it also it allows you just to make more models, paint more models, experiment with different kind of conversion ideas, opportunities, and probably just learn more and more quickly. Well, I feel yeah. like looking at all of your different conversions and stuff, like I, you've like worked with so many different like model kits and stuff, but I feel like um, you just having worked on so many different models, you just have a very good sense of like how things work together or how you could potentially use something in the future. And you have a pretty good sense of like scale and size of everything. So I feel the more you do anything like that, it probably just kind of helps fuel that and make it easier in the future to like make new things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, as said, I, I draw a huge amount of my inspiration from artwork. Mm -hmm. And in in artwork or in pictures or in movies, um, you have the right scale, of course. Yes, yeah. And um, I, I have a very good good memory, and I can uh, uh, transfer what I have seen. Uh, so I see if the model has the right proportions or not. And it might have to do with the fact that I am uh, working as a blacksmith for about fifteen years now. Oh, and cool. what what we what we do is a lot of um art stuff mm -hmm. and even on on the big pieces that are about uh, five meters in height or or mm -hmm. stuff like that 
uh, we always stand in front of it and most mostly come to the point where we say, okay, uh, this looks odd. We have to cut away uh, a bit mm-hmm. um, because it's too high or we have to add a bit uh, to, to, to make the proportions right. And I, I, I guess you are now thinking that we would cut about 30 millimeters or half a meter off of it, but usually it uh, is like, okay, uh, cut two millimeters. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> From from the five five meters uh, stuff, yeah. and it's that small proportion that uh, makes a lot of difference in my job. So I, yeah, it just translates yeah, into I, the small I, things. And I, as I can cut and file and drill stuff, and I do it uh, all day. Of course, I use that as my main technique yeah. uh, to to build my conversions instead of sculpting. Well, no, I feel like for a lot of things, just very minor modifications can really have a large effect on the overall look or feel of a model. Like oftentimes, if you just like seat a head slightly, slightly higher or anything like that, it can really um, do a lot to change the overall feel and effect of, an, of a model. So like that notion, I feel... In many regards, I feel that the quicker you can get a model to like a general semblance of order, the quicker you can kind of figure out what what you need to do to improve it or what needs to be changed. Because I know mm-hmm. with a lot of like some of the stuff that I've worked on where I have done a lot of sculpting, like I'll do a whole bunch of work and then like, okay, let's add the arms. And then you add the arms, it's like, well, that doesn't look right at all. Now I have to go back and like rework the legs or all this other stuff. And so I feel the quicker yeah, yeah. you can kind of assemble the rough framework of like any model, um, yeah. the easier it is to like kind of judge whether you're going in the right direction or if like, uh, you know, if this just doesn't work at all. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a good thing to consider yeah i always pick all the parts of the model i i want to to use and uh, pre-assemble with uh, blue tech or with with wire yeah. to to have the the whole picture really early in the process so i know right away where i have to to add stuff and sometimes i uh, um, pre-build three or four versions of a model and then pick the best or pick the legs from that and so on until I have the really rough uh, uh, model lying finished and then I start to to, to add details. And I, I think I would uh, uh, go the same way if I would sculpt most of the thing, just the framework and then yeah. uh, pick all the parts I don't have to sculpt, which are mm-hmm. just fitting. And then I, th- I think I would, would even say, um, if I want to do um, a bigger version of a Tempesto Skyen or something like that, I would take all the parts and cut away all the parts that I don't want to sculpt, like mm-hmm. uh, cutting off the elbows and the hands and the arms and the armor, and then rearrange it and then just sculpt the the tissue, uh, the, yeah. the the clothes mm-hmm. in between and and stuff like that. Well, so one thing instead of doing the whole thing from from the start. Yeah. One of the things, so like, I think that sort of speaks to that whole notion, like on your Instagram post, 
you have where you're building that iconic um, Inquisitor from the cover of Inquisitor. Is his name Tyrus or whatever his name is? You yeah, have a whole, yeah, yeah, you Tyrus, have a bunch yeah. of pictures on Instagram showing kind of different stages of the model. Like I think one of your first pictures, like you just sort of like tacked together a bunch of different pieces, the different legs and stuff. And like exactly, yeah. that gives you kind of a sense like you're kind of working um, to kind of get the posing and the feel of the model correct. But like at the very early stages, it looks kind of weird. But like as <laughs> you then you start adding other details, kind of reworking and tweaking how the legs are and the arms. And then like it really starts to come together. And mm. like I think that's that's kind of a clever and a good way to work about stuff. Um, I feel maybe in the future maybe I'll try and do more of this because I think that is a good way of going about it and will, can sort of like prevent you from spending all this time working on something only to kind of put it together and realize that like well this isn't right and I'm not happy with it. <laughs> Um, mm, yeah. Well, so Chris, are you the sort that are have a ton of different projects going at once? Or Absolutely. You, okay, so it's not that <laughs> you finish it and then go to another thing. You you have a bunch of ideas that you're working with a bunch of different things and. Yeah, well, I I tried that, and um, there are a few projects that I started and uh, finished them before starting uh, something new. But I think I can count them on one or maybe two hands. Yeah. And usually I have a ton of different projects. And whenever I come uh, to an impasse or uh, uh, don't know where to go further, don't have, don't aren't in the mood to to paint that color, I just pick another model and paint it that, or um, go back to kit bashing, or even. Uh, salt my hobby days with a bit of building models right out of the box. Yeah, that's good. I feel Um, having a lot of projects kind of helps with that because I feel most people that are in the hobby, they sort of know like your inspiration and mood kind of works in mysterious ways. So if you do have, have a whole bunch of different things you're working on, like it can sort of help um, drive you to continue to do stuff and pushing forward on at least something like if it's like oh why well, have these models I just kind of want to stock build like you could do that or it's like um, I don't really feel like doing a whole lot today but like I could like oh reposition this arm or like I could add a few details here or there I think that kind of helps so I feel yeah. the more you can get into a like a habit or a routine of actually doing stuff like pretty frequently. I think that just in general helps. Yeah. It it can be quite distracting if you have too many projects and um, it is very fulfilling if you put an end to something and just wrap it up and uh, put it into the uh, cabinet or, or have a game with it or something like that. And when I, feel that I can come to that point that um, uh, there's a certain uh, grayness on my desk 
I would like to say where I don't see where to put my effort next or that I when I see that mm -hmm. I don't go anywhere with anything um I pick uh the two or three most or the two or three projects that I want to do the most and I um get every other thing packed away so that I don't see it anymore and <laughs> have yeah, only yeah. these two projects okay so you uh, can really on, focus on my desk yeah, and then I wait until uh, they appeal to me and, and do something different like playing computer games or reading a book or something and mm -hmm. when the day comes where I want to uh, uh, work on these projects I do and most of the time I keep picking up other projects right away <laughs> to <laughs> fill, okay. fill the, fill the yeah. desk again um, in, so we've been talking a bunch about conversions and how you, you know, try as much as possible to minimize the need to do, um, sculpting. Are there any particular tools that you use that you find are really essential that help, you know, with that sort of thing, like any particular clippers or this sort of thing that you might recommend or that really is invaluable to you? Uh, well, the, the the clippers are of course the the main workhorse for for kit bashing, and I over time I have I think found the the cheapest clippers that you can get over eBay, eBay which cost about two two euros or stuff, <laughs> and they have never never failed me. I have two of them, and uh, so far only the the grip has okay. loosened, and they they cut quite flush. And uh, the second tool would be my uh, resin or razor saw, mm -hmm. with which I can make really precise uh, uh, cuts up to. Yeah, well, lately on my on my uh, Black Shield uh, miniature, I sawed off an index finger from a Space Marine hand and put it mm -hmm. uh, onto another hand, so he has his finger on the mag release of his gun. So it's yeah. a very very delicate uh, tool opposed to the to the clippers. Yeah. Okay. And then also yeah. like you're trying to use a hobby knife to do that often it doesn't really cut straight or it might not and that that's true and I I admittedly haven't really I don't even I don't even well actually I have one hobby saw that's kind of garbage so I feel mm -hmm. <laughs> might be good to look into getting a better thing like that is such that you can be more controlled and precise about what you're doing because I think that you know like doing like what you said for like cutting off the the one finger such that you yeah you you need to be pretty precise with that <laughs> yeah and whenever you work on something and I think that's a universal law you have to see that you uh, that you have progress Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to see that you're actually doing something. And of course, it's more satisfying um, cutting away a shoulder pad with, with two straight cuts instead of uh, nipping at it for uh, 10 minutes and then scraping at it with your your cutter and stuff. So it's, it's always um, preferable, of course, uh, to use the right tool uh, for, the, for the equivalent step that you want to do. And of course, I use a, a hobby knife because there are places on the model where the clippers don't go or you can't uh, make an angular uh, a cut with a saw. What sort of saw is it that you use? Uh, I use a, a, a so-called razor saw. So the, the blade is as thin as a razor blade. 
mm-hmm. like on a on a shaver just with a tiny piece or it's called a, a resin resin or jeweler saw yeah 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 and i think the the thickness of the blade is under uh, uh, one tenth of a millimeter or something like that it's really really thin yeah yeah up to a breaking point and you can make really precise cups with yeah, it. Yeah, I need to look into some of it because I know like Tamiya, which makes a lot of good hobby tools and stuff, they have a lot of different like really fine like jeweler saw blades of different diameters and such. And I think, yeah, as, as you suggested, having the right tool for the job really helps a lot. Towards that end, like what sort of glue do you tend to use? Uh, I tend to use uh, regular plastic glue from from uh, Revell or I've used Uhu or something like that. Uh, mainly stuff that uh, melts mm-hmm. the plastic a bit, so I can uh, squeeze or pull parts slightly yeah, yeah. apart and can adjust. Uh, uh, that so tiny amount that I can't get right with with cutting. So not just super glue. No, I, I rarely rarely uh, use super glue. I feel yeah. for a long time with all of our hobby building projects, we exclusively used super glue for years, and then learned yeah. that plastic glue was great. Yeah, like <laughs> various types of Tamiya stuff. Like I feel I, in the, at least one of your videos, I thought I saw you have like a maybe a bottle of Tamiya glue, like the little glass bottle with the No, no, I don't, don't have, have one of these. Okay, so maybe it was... That, they're not. I have like, seen these and I have heard that it's really good and people uh, uh, use that stuff sometimes as a kind of filler for gaps. Uh-huh. But so far I haven't acquired uh, uh, okay. a bottle of these, no. So I was looking at their little, like the black shield, like the bolter and like how you cut off a little finger. And I have the picture yeah. here on Instagram. So it also looks like you most likely use the saw to like cut off like the bottom of one of the bolters with like the little four grips and whatnot. And then just yeah. um, place another bolter on top of that. Like that. You use one of the little razor saws for that, presumably. Yeah, exactly. the the yeah. the uh, the bolt gun itself is from uh, the Death Watch, mm-hmm. and um, I think I have even cut it from the hand that it's holding it originally. It looks so. And then I I, I yeah. cut away the the finger that goes uh, through the trigger guard and yeah. have uh, transplanted that uh, index finger from a pointy uh, Primaris hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the scopes and stuff are from the newer uh, Primaris, um, I don't know the name, those in- infiltrators yeah. or something <laughs> like that. So, so that gun is quite quite convoluted, yeah. yeah so that's <laughs> nice because like, I feel, uh, so I have some saws and stuff and I don't tend to use them too much, but like I know one of the things that like whenever I'm like trying to make little detailed weapons and stuff, like most of the time I'm working with just a hobby knife and getting mm. everything to be pretty straight can be sort of hard on a small scale. So I feel by using a saw or something that um, that sort of helps maintain like a straighter like cut and you don't have to necessarily worry as much about 
oh, now I have to yeah. save, like, a few more, like, a... Actually, the the blade of my hobby saw is roughly as uh, thick as the edge of my cutter. Yeah, okay, okay. So uh, you you can, or you, you have to, to have in mind that when you uh, do something, when you cut something with your, your hobby knife, um, you're always uh, squeezing it. So yeah, you 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 you, yeah. you cut into it like with with an X. Yeah. If you yeah, if so. you uh, uh, zoom yeah, in, yeah. Uh, so to say. So you have always warping of the parts. Yeah. Uh, uh, you want to use later, and well, when I work on on weapons, uh, I often um, try to use, uh, for example, the the Piccadilly rails on top mm -hmm. or scopes mm -hmm. or stuff like that. And with the razor saw, you can just. Uh, cut it directly from the weapon without losing much mm. material of of both uh, so you you I can always use the weapon for another build so to say and use yeah. the, the yeah, rail no, or the that, barrel for another yeah yeah i i need to look into get getting some stuff like this cuz that would be substantially easier yeah i think to work yeah, with. <laughs> cutting off the tiny little pieces with like a blade, yeah. Like depending on how you apply the pressure, you can pretty easily just destroy whatever yeah. it is you wanted. <laughs> Particularly with everything, it's so small that like it's so easy to not to misapply the pressure or whatever, and or cut it crooked, and then. <laughs> yeah, and then... So yes, I mean that's 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 good to good yeah. to hear. Uh, as I am uh, preparing for. Um, holding uh, actually uh, Kitbash seminars at Adepticon. I have mm -hmm. um, thought a lot of how to, uh, uh, of, of what to, to tell people about Kitbashing mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. the techniques and what uh, tools I use and stuff. And um, only then it, it came to my mind that I have a huge um, opportunity and uh, 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 a, a better, a better ability of, of of doing the stuff because I work with those tools every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel a lot of people just, just in the bigger scale. Yeah, but but yeah. most of the people don't. They they just don't have the the connection to the to the tools, and hence it's it's more uh, complicated for them to achieve. Uh, also, the stuff I, I I do naturally, so to say. Yeah. Someone actually mentioned in the chat here, like when you are trying to like, let's say, cut off like one of the little Picatinny rails or something. How do you actually hold the part that you're cutting? And like, do you use just your fingers? Do you use like a tweezers or like how do you position or something in a like a way that you know will facilitate the action? <laughs> yeah. Um... When the part that I want to cut is really small, mm -hmm. I usually um, put it between tweezers and cut in between the tweezers, so to say, that it can't mm -hmm. uh, flop away. And uh, the main tool um, I use for uh, cutting stuff, or the main addition, is uh, a strip of uh, of leather. Mm. Okay. A, a bit 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 softer than uh, you would use for a belt, actually. Mm -hmm. Because I can press the uh, the bit down into it and it won't budge away. 
That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I have. I also have uh, used um, uh, polystyrene mm-hmm. in some some cases where it just takes it, it compresses a little and takes the form um, yeah. of the yeah, part, but- and it, it doesn't slip away. See, that's the sort of thing that I feel people who don't do anything with like those tools wouldn't really know that. So that's the sort of thing that like it's good to, to hear somebody talk about. Mm-hmm. There's all little things you can learn. So with that being, so you're going to Adepticon this year in the United States and you're doing yeah. bashing seminars. Um, what are you bringing, like all the parts that you're going to use for that or what are you having the people attending it um i'm sort of developing uh that uh, at the moment i have um uh, two versions of seminars at adapticon the one is um where i mainly talk about conversions and how to do it and show a few of my uh, things and how i composed Mm-hmm. The stuff there's lots about uh, composition and where I will uh, show how I convert a piece. So it's more like uh, yeah, pe- people look and listen what I'm doing. And there are two uh, other classes with less people where I actually show people how to convert and show them the, the basics and where people have uh, hands-on experience uh, with stuff. I'm working at the moment um, uh, to acquire uh, the tools, at least for most of the participants. But if they have the tools, they would be cool uh, if they could bring it. Mm-hmm. Because I can't uh, uh, pack all my uh, luggage <laughs> yeah. full of uh, stuff. And what I at the moment have to figure out is how much uh, bits from myself I could bring with and how much uh, stuff I have to acquire uh, over there. Mm-hmm. And the plan is to uh, uh, ask uh, bits sellers and stores uh, who are actually uh, attending Adapticon if I can get stuff from them. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, at least I, I can, can buy stuff from them or I will... Uh, contact several uh, several bit sites or stuff like that and have them uh, uh, ship stuff I bought to friends in the U.S. so they could bring uh, the stuff for me to, to Adapticon. We can certainly help you with um, providing your stuff. Like if you need help buying some stuff, we can help with that too since we are here. Admittedly, we're not that close to where Adepticon actually takes place, but it's certainly yeah. easy for us to get there than like a cross the ocean flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have I have a few uh, uh, friends who uh, drive there by car, so they would That's be like ideal. Uh, <laughs> probably ideal for that. Yeah. And for example, the the main issue would be uh, to have a plastic glue uh, for twelve people in your luggage. Which mm-hmm. isn't actually that that good in international yeah, yeah. flights. <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, but it's it's uh, uh, slowly coming together. That's good. And um, well, at at the beginning, I have to admit that I only saw or I tried to uh, put the least effort into it to get the most of the money out of it to yeah to to. Uh, 
to uh, get my flight paid and, mm -hmm. and stuff. But um, that's the totally wrong um, <laughs> uh, go on that thing, of course, because uh, people don't pay for these classes to have me fly over to Adapticon. They pay yeah. for the classes to 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 uh, see what I'm doing and to to learn something about it. So um, yeah, I will try to make these uh, seminars uh, really cool with lots of stuff to to learn and to do and to to take mm -hmm. to take. Uh, Are there take still um, spots open in the classes? Like, so you know, I think like, so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. For people yeah. listening to this, if you have a chance to go to Adepticon, like you I think, can still potentially sign up for one or two of them. Yeah, yeah, there are three seminars um, in in all, and I think all three have at the moment only half the seats. Okay, that's cool. Uh, uh, and it's like to, anyway. if people want to search them, I think they have to use. It's based on like your actual name, correct? Yes, it's not. Kernel. It's not kernel. I I don't know why I haven't thought about it. <laughs> okay. Would would be probably more obvious uh, if you uh, could find them by um, searching for kernel. But that's why I have repeatedly um, put it on my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, how people can find it, and of course I will do uh, a few posts um, referring to yeah, that okay. in so the that's, that's near future, so that people can find it and that people know a bit more. Uh, what to expect and mm -hmm. what not to expect because the the skill level will be uh, varying from beginners to yeah. to um uh people who can do it already or mm -hmm. stuff. and I, I can't i just can't uh appease everyone so that yeah. there will be passages for people who already know that and there will be passages uh, in the classes that are probably too high for mm -hmm. beginners to grasp or maybe I mean, not. I I don't yeah, know. I will have to find to a way in between. Yeah, everyone You're, comes at stuff from a different aspect. And I know, like, for instance, yeah. I'm certainly very experienced with a lot of stuff. But even, like, just different perspectives and, like, different ways to, like, use tools, how to approach stuff. Like, all of that has value. And it's hard to really judge and figure out what people will get from anything. But I think... Just in general, you you talking and showing people your stuff like will have value to I feel mm -hmm. just about anyone. At least I think. Um Thank you, you went to Adepticon last year. Did you have the opportunity to take any courses while there? Yes, yes. Did um that sort of influence how you're thinking about structuring this. I mean, admittedly, there's so much diversity in the classes or the planning or all these things that yeah maybe yes. no, but <laughs> sadly sadly you can't take every course that is given there and the uh, the amount of knowledge you could uh, acquire if you could attend all these courses is uh, just phenomenal and um i think uh, even if you could even if you would have the time to attend all the classes, uh, your brain possibly <laughs> couldn't uh, save all the, the data, couldn't handle it. Yeah. Um, and with that in mind, I had, I think I had two classes. Uh, one was about uh, freehand mm -hmm. painting, 
with uh, Mr. Farabi. And the second was um, painting basics with uh, Andy Wardle and uh, Richard uh, Gray. Oh, yeah. ah, okay. Well, that's cool. It yeah. was, was half, yeah. half a day work where we painted uh, a, a Space Marine to high standard with reflective armor and stuff like that. So that was was really cool and I learned a lot. Not only uh, regarding the techniques, but how to to uh, structure and set up yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, something like that. Yeah. Well, that's great that just with your now your second Adepticon you're coming to, you're already trying to kind of give back to the community and show people there how to do kid bashing and stuff. So that's really cool that you're already trying to do something like that. So yeah, thank thank you. Yeah, the the thing is there there aren't many courses about kid bashing at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's um, even if it's probably quite quite common because everyone has taken uh, stuff from other kits and put it on yeah, yeah. something else to individualize uh, his army. It's not so far developed that uh, 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 people give courses or have you, that you have yeah. the variety like in painting. Mm -hmm. um, no, yeah, the I fact that, 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 that it's me. not so easy to to show people how it's done because you need much more equipment. Yeah. For painting, you just have to bring a brush and uh, a few pots of paint, and you can mm -hmm. fire away. There's no potential of uh, people getting injured. People would start asking questions like, why do you have 15 little like, clippers in your... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that will be really funny, yeah. 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 Well, I guess um, also when you went to Adepticon last year, you took part in the Carrion Pass event, that sort of yes. Blanchichu Inc. 28 event at Ward, Sylvania. Brian, can you talk a little bit about that? And was that your first, like, of these kind of Inc. 28 events that you've played in? Or? Yeah, that actually was the, the very first time that I... Uh, not also played an uh, Inquisitor 28 game, but uh, that I had uh, actually a rule set for all the models of my warband. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have organized that event, I think, roughly a year before, mm -hmm. uh, with everyone uh, uh, creating their own warbands with a little bit of uh, uh, backstory and fluff and stuff like that. Yeah. And we uh, made rules based on the standard uh, Necromunda rules, and si simply picked profiles from from the from all gangs to uh, that 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 would uh, roughly or as close as possibly um, resemble the the models that we had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For, for that um, event, was that your like your like desert camo like? Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah like I. I feel those are some of my favorite things that you've done, like the whole, like the, the camouflage and stuff is really great. The little, um, like maybe it was like the leader in the, like a large exosuit or whatever. He's like, yeah. I feel pretty like iconic with your work, or at least when I think back to it, that's one of the first things that comes to mind. And the cool yeah. little like flying craft with like the Gatling gun, it's really mm -hmm. neat. Yeah, the, the thing with those was that they are actually, uh, in a way, designed 
to to be a war band and mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. to fit into a certain theme and uh, have a certain role so it's pretty much like like designing a unit that would work or mm-hmm. a gang that would would work in necromunda without uh, uh or or with giving it uh, uh your own design so to say well, so are they having... or are they like like a they were part of like your black phalanx like yes. you know like thing. Can you talk about like like you have a lot of models and stuff focused around that? Can you talk a little bit about that force and kind of like what your like goals and ideas and stuff were behind it? Um the the first time the the black phalanx um, appeared was um during the Iron Fleet Invitational, okay, I think yeah. three three or four years ago, where they um, had the Thorn Moons Crusade, yeah, and invited people to to uh, create a regiment or a force that would take part in that conflict. That was when I uh, 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 created or invented the uh, Black Phalanx uh, Panel Crusade which is a, a fleet-based uh, crusade that yeah, picks up uh, miscon- malcontents and, and uh, <laughs> stuff and deserters and whatever and uh, mind-washes them and puts armor on them and gives them a gun and then uh, puts Go them into it. the meat grinder. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, uh, to, to cover up their, uh, cover for their uh, specialists who do then the the dirt jobs and the hard jobs and yeah stuff like that. So uh, a real, a real grim dark um, yeah. army cool. that that kind of reminds of the old um, um, uh, crusade where the emperor tried to unify the imperium. Yeah, and they they have the roots their roots there, but uh, all the history is quite uh, in the dark. I have a few ideas, and it's it's only a frame around which I work with them. Mm-hmm. But I plan to um, develop that uh, further in the future. And the the Carrion Pass event was uh, a cool way to explore another faction inside the Crusade because before I had those nightly black uh, orders yeah. with lots of dark brown and angelic aspects whereas these are really tactical almost squat squat like and they all uh, have what squat like sorry all they all have jump packs or like they're all yeah. very mobile force like nice and cohesive would you say that they were a group of specialists probably yeah definitely yeah, yeah. jump man the little the little gun drones are really great. Like, um, they fit. They work together really well. They look really kind of like believable, and they work really well with like the infantry models as well. Yeah, they they are all designed so that they would work uh, in 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 pairs or in teams, and that they. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had in mind that they would cover each other and uh, play certain roles on the battlefield. And stuff like that, and while they are uh, specialists, um, they are also um, highly expendable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, which you can only see when you you look at the big flyer uh, closely. Um, it's n- not only named a casket on the side somewhere, 
um, uh, but it has only or the intention uh, with this thing was that it's a uh, support drone and also their extraction vehicle. Okay. Yeah. And it has only seats for two people. Not <laughs> <laughs> intend for everybody to leave. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So there's uh, always always a story behind it. And when I build a warband, I usually play out certain scenes and how they would interact with each other <laughs> or uh, with with their enemies. So uh, I can. How did they do yeah. in the operation? Did any of them like make it out? <laughs> um, the 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 main uh, quest, so to say, or the main mission was to um, uh, get uh, onto a big um, hauler and to extract. Um, I think it was um, drugs that uh, were intended for high ruler of the the hive, and we had four warbands uh, competing mm -hmm. about that goal and a NPC warband on, on top of that hauler. Yeah. And uh, what kept me from that uh, was the truck full of gene stealer hybrids of another guy that was placed directly uh, <laughs> in front of my, uh, uh, my warband when we set up the game. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, focused on uh, destroying them oh, wow. uh, because yeah, I pur purged the Xenos. Yeah, noble thing. And... Um, I think I, I've got two or three models onto that rig, mm -hmm. in fact. But then uh, the the uh, machine room crew uh, came out and had a lot of lucky dice rolls and just <laughs> blasted the the whole deck of that thing clean. Okay. okay. But oh. it was 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 a lot of lot of fun. It was a very casual game and had a cool yeah. some cool effects. We. We had the actually we had the terrain moving to uh, simulate that the the rig uh, would accelerate and would driving so it was had much movement in it and what was always battlefield was always changing and stuff and it was quite cinematic. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, I mean, I guess this this uh, interview is maybe been going on for a little while. Maybe we I could just end with kind of one last question. Um, Sure. Do you have any sort of advice or thing you would tell to like someone who's kind of moving into this idea, wanting to do kit bashes and conversions and making characters like, yeah, just some good advice for how to go about it or how to start that sort of thing? Mm. The first would be a look at, uh, uh, or if one wants to do that, he or she has probably uh, already looked at all the stuff that it's, is around there and has probably too much inspiration. <laughs> so uh, my my advice would be to look what you have, or look what you 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 can afford or what you like the most. If you have to buy a, a new kit for for stuff like that, but mainly you try try to use what you have and try to to achieve something that is as close as possible as you can do it to the thing that inspires you the most. That might involve a bit of thinking. Um, and of course, people do approach that totally differently. And there can be people who just uh, buy a, a whole lot of stuff and just delve into it and, and get somewhere. But um, I think for most, it can be quite overwhelming. 
and they don't know where to start or something like that. But it's not that I can uh, recommend a certain kit or a certain miniature that is easy to kit bash or something like that. You have to follow your guts, mm-hmm. your, your, your feeling and what inspires you most. It doesn't make sense for you to to uh, try to start with kit bashing Space Marines if you want to play uh, uh, Grimdark Inquisitor 28 or more like Sororitas uh, Army or Eldar or something. Just pick pick what you want and see uh, where, it, where it goes practically. Of course you have to uh, it's better to, to have the miniatures at hand like visiting a games workshop and asking uh, if you can have a look at the models or the sprue or go to a friend or something like that. It's probably better, yeah. Because there, there are little sculptures and there's a lot of sort of dynamic elements to it that yeah. you can't necessarily get from just one picture. Yeah. But no, that's good advice. And I think just in general, just trying to do it. The more you do it and attempt it, you'll learn a lot. Yeah. The What I haven't covered with that answer um, right now is that uh, the Inquisitor 28 is not only about kit bashing, but it's mainly about playing the game and uh, playing it in a different way as you would uh, a Warhammer 40k with more story behind it and more uh, uh, yeah like like playing out little scenes and gunfights and that and if you are more uh, after that you can easily pick up just uh, the Blackstone Fortress models or anything like that uh, where the miniature is actually um, at a point where you would wanted uh, to look so you have to you can focus more on on playing the game and then uh, decide if you want to have other models that you go kit bashing and you 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 can already paint them in the grimdark uh, mood if you want to do that so that would probably be a good start for all those who aren't interested in kit bashing at all or uh, fear that they can't pull it off yeah yeah so that that is it's a good thought too yeah, so it's all kind of just where your priorities are and just yeah. kind of be honest with yourself about that and just, yeah, try to do it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. All right. Well, it's, it's been really nice talking with you and um, having you here. Like, I guess, is there any last kind of final words you'd like to say, anything you'd like to plug or talk about before we kind of wrap this interview up? Above all, you have uh, to have fun what you're doing and it isn't it isn't really necessary to to uh, pull through something that you don't want to to really do look for projects you want to do and you want to have finished and we have fun with it and share with others ask for advice and uh, what I find is done not often is uh, put constructive critique out there. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, okay, this looks fine, but I would have used a different head or the angle of that is slightly off or something like that. I think that's uh, one aspect that we are still uh, missing a little bit. But the the danger there is that it gets uh, incentive very, mm-hmm. uh, very fast. And so far, the community uh, on Instagram and Facebook that involves the Inquisitor 28 stuff and stuff that is uh, 
you can put around that is very positive. Yeah. And <clears throat> I hope that will stay so for a long time. No, I agree. Yeah, no, that that yeah, it sounds good. That sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here. It's been really nice talking with you. And um hopefully we can have you on again sometime. I mean Yeah, of we'll course. My my pleasure. Yeah, we'll see you at uh Adepticon. So it'd be fun to, to talk about that too, perhaps. But yeah. yeah. All right, well Absolutely. thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Over and out. Have a good time.